I am Thomas Solomon, and you are listening to the VO2 Podcast. Electrolytes, sodium, stay hydrated. Great Scott. How many more companies will stuff hydration potions down our face to keep us more hydrated for longer? Today is all about sodium and the salty dilemma of whether you need it or not during exercise. As you learned in the first part of this series, both water and solutes, like sodium, in your tank continuously move between the intracellular and extracellular pools, between the cells in your organs and your blood, to help maintain plasma osmolality, a kind of liquid pressure, and your plasma volume. You are now very well versed in the fact that water leaves your tank, dehydration occurs, during exercise. But what about solutes? In particular, what about sodium? It might not surprise you that lots of athletes use sodium during races. For example, a study of 3,317 ultra runners competing in three races ranging from 65 to 165 kilometers in hot and humid conditions showed that 59% of the runners had enriched their food or their drink with sodium during the race. Meanwhile, a diet record in elite ultra-endurance runners during the 24-hour World Championships found a sodium intake of about 869 milligrams per hour of sodium, ranging from 271 to 1542 milligrams per hour. But, before assuming that you should ingest sodium during exercise, you must first ask yourself an obvious question. Does your body lose sodium during exercise? During exercise, your water and electrolyte balance mechanisms are being put to the test, but your body works hard to protect plasma osmolality, the liquid pressure that maintains organ function, keeping it within a narrow range. Plasma osmolality is, is driven by the most abundant solutes dissolved in your blood of which glucose and sodium are of great importance during exercise. In my performance nutrition series, I went deep on how glucose levels leave the blood during exercise to enter the muscles for metabolism, while your liver and or your feeding choices throws glucose back into the blood to help maintain carbohydrate availability to the hungry muscles. This also helps maintain plasma osmolality. Clever, clever. But, in the context of hydration status, of all the solutes in your blood, plasma sodium levels are key. A change in plasma osmolality is a good indication that plasma sodium concentration has changed, because sodium is the most abundant solute in your blood plasma. So, the first important question to ask is, do we lose sodium in our sweat? As you know, during exercise, you sweat. Typically, a higher sweat rate is associated with a higher sweat sodium concentration because there is less time for sodium reuptake as sweat flows through your sweat glands. For a phenomenal deep dive on sweat glands, their function and their role in human health, 
I can thoroughly recommend Lindsay Baker's 2019 narrative review on the physiology of sweat gland function and her 2017 review of sweat and sodium loss methodology. Such details are unnecessary here, but Lindsay also published a very cool epidemiological dataset of normative values for sweat rate, sweat sodium, and sodium losses during exercise in about 1,300 athletes. On average, sweat rate was 1.1 plus and minus 0.6 litres per hour, sweat sodium concentration was 36 plus and minus 11 millimoles per litre, and sweat sodium loss was 42 plus and minus 28 millimoles per hour, equivalent to about 1 gram per hour. But these variables show dramatic variability within and between people across many sports, including marathon running, with sweat rates ranging from 0.2 to 5.5 litres per hour, sweat sodium concentrations ranging from about 10 to about 90 millimoles per litre, and sodium losses ranging from 3 to 340 millimoles per hour, equivalent to about 0.1 to 7.8 grams per hour. To summarise that numerical banter, since your plasma sodium concentration is tightly regulated at about 140 millimoles per litre, exercise typically causes hypotonic fluid losses, sweat, with a lower sodium concentration, 10 to 90 millimoles per litre, and a lower osmolality than your blood. During exercise, a greater sweat rate is correlated with a higher sweat sodium concentration. Therefore, any condition that increases your sweat rate, higher body mass, higher intensity, higher ambient temperature, may also increase your sweat sodium concentration. And, therefore, the longer your session or race is, it would seem sensible to assume that total sodium loss might become important because your total sweat loss will become greater. But, since we know that assumptions can be the mother of all F-ups, we'd better look at the evidence, and in doing so, answer the second important question. Do our plasma sodium concentrations drop during long-duration exercise? This is important because if plasma sodium concentrations fall, then plasma osmolality falls, which can disrupt normal organ function. Worse, if plasma sodium falls very low, below 135 millimoles per litre, this indicates hyponatremia, and your risk of needing medical care and developing a serious health event requiring hospital admission increases. So, what happens during exercise? observational data from about 800 triathletes competing in an Ironman showed a huge range in body weight loss, a proxy for dehydration, during the race. But on average, plasma sodium concentrations and osmolality increased, not decreased. Similarly, observations of 33 athletes racing the 56km Two Oceans Marathon in South Africa showed that total body water decreased dehydration, while again plasma sodium concentrations and plasma osmolality increased, but to a small extent and staying within the normal range. More intense events where sweat rates are higher may affect plasma sodium, 
For example, data from 51 marathoners racing the 2014 Rock and Roll Madrid Marathon found that runners in the highest tertile of sweat-sodium concentrations, aka salty sweaters, had the lowest post-race plasma sodium concentration and plasma osmolality compared to pre-race values. But no participant was found to have hyponatremia at the end of the race, and the during-race decrease was very small, and their plasma sodium as osmolality was still well within the healthy reference ranges. That said, there is massive variability in sweat rates and sweat sodium losses among marathoners. So this does not exclude the possibility that hyponatremia can arise during such events in some people. At the more extreme Western States 100 miler, an event that takes up to 30 hours, includes more than 5,000 meters of elevation gain and often hits temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius during parts of the race, a five-year observation of 887 competitors found just over 10% incidence of hyponatremia at the end of the race. Likewise, observations at the hot 2013 Western States race found that 10% of participants gained body mass and 7% of them were hyponatremic at the finish. Similar examples of hyperhydration have been found during other ultramarathon and multi-stage races. Interestingly, however, cases of hyponatremia were not solely found in folks who hyperhydrated and gained weight during the race, indicating that body sodium loss, independent of plasma sodium dilution, may also cause hyponatremia under such arduous conditions. Don't worry if concentrations, millimoles per litre, and absolute amounts, grams, and sweat rates, litres per hour, and blah blah blah, are all a bit confusing. If it is, think of it like this. You have 20 items in your fridge, 10 of which are beers. If you remove one of the non-beer items, the concentration of beer in your fridge increases from 10 out of 20 to 10 out of 19 or from 0.5 to 0.53 beers per item. Hell yeah! But you still have 10 beers, so overall nothing changes for you. But if your wife, husband or housemate now removes one beer from the fridge, the concentration of beer in the fridge drops from 10 out of 19 to 9 out of 19 or from 0.53 to 0.47 beers per item. And the total amount of beer in the fridge also drops from 10 to 9, leaving less beer for you. This sucks, and you clearly need a wife, husband or housemate who does not drink your beer. My point is that it is sometimes important to know the absolute amount of the thing you're interested in and its concentration the thing of interest per number of total things. So, yes, sweat contains sodium, and you do lose sodium during exercise, but this doesn't necessarily mean that your plasma sodium concentration will decrease, because your body strives to maintain plasma sodium and asmolality within the normal range during exercise, and it does a great job. That said, hyponatremia which is dangerous, 
can arise from either drinking too much water, hyperhydration, or from excessive sweat sodium losses during exercise, or a combination of both. And the chance that your plasma sodium concentration will drop becomes higher with increasing distance, for example ultras, especially under extreme conditions, for example under high ambient temperatures. So, if hyponatremia is a hazard with dire consequences, perhaps you are wondering, does adding salt, sodium, to your water hydrate you better? When Coach Klein told Bobby Boucher that water sucks, it really, really sucks, he also boldly proclaimed that Gatorade not only quenches your thirst better, it tastes better too. Everyone has their likes and dislikes, but for me, I disagree. I like water. It quenches my thirst and it tastes pretty good. But Coach Klein was onto something. Adding solute does give water some extra properties. To start with something simple, specifically adding sodium increases the saltiness of water, which is important because just like thirst, i.e. your water appetite, your salt appetite is tightly regulated by neuroendocrine mechanisms in your body. So, if you crave something salty during a session or a race, drink or eat something salty. Doing so will likely quench your thirst better than if you drank water alone. Thank you, Coach Klein. Adding solute also gives water another extra property. Adding solute increases the osmolality, the liquid pressure, of the water. Why does this matter? Well, water movement through your stomach and intestine is passive and depends on osmotic gradients. Water will always move downstream from where there is too much to where there is too little. Since osmotic gradients are determined by osmolality, water movement from your drink bottle to your blood is therefore influenced by solute concentrations. Drinking a solution with a low sodium and or glucose concentration, and therefore a low osmolality, will allow water to run into your blood faster. This is why sports drinks are either hypotonic or isotonic. The osmolality of sports drinks is lower than or equal to the osmolality of your blood. But what does adding sodium, the most abundant solute in your blood, to your water do during exercise? Some laboratory studies show that sodium intake during exercise may help your body retain fluid by increasing water reabsorption in your kidneys so you pee less. But this doesn't mean you need to start drinking salty water every time you throw liquid into your pie hole. Plus, the artificial conditions of lab studies are never an ecological model for what really goes down on race day. So, what can we learn from the few in-the-field studies? Observations of 161 athletes competing in an 80km section of a six-day ultramarathon found that all athletes used sodium during the race, ranging from 2 to 7 grams. But sodium intake was not correlated with running pace, race time or finish position. And at the end of the race, hyponatremia was less likely but not absent in high sodium users. 
Several observational studies have also been completed at the Western States 100 miler. A survey of 155 athletes who competed the race on a day with a max high of 32 degrees Celsius showed that sodium supplements were used by about 94% of the runners and that a higher post-race plasma sodium concentration was correlated with a higher rate of sodium intake during the race. The surveys showed that sodium intake during the race was not different between folks who had hyponatremia at the end of the race and folks with healthy plasma sodium concentrations at the end of the race, but that hyponatremia tended only to occur in runners with a low sodium intake, less than 120 milligrams per hour during the race. Furthermore, hyponatremia was detected in groups of runners who had either lost or gained weight. Meanwhile, on a hotter day at Western States when the air temperature reached 39 Celsius, runners who supplemented more sodium during the race lost less weight, possibly indicative of less dehydration. But average finish times were not different between participants who used sodium during the race versus those who did not. Interestingly, runners who hyperhydrated and gained weight during the race had used more sodium than those who lost weight during the race. Full dietary records from 20 of the athletes that year also showed that sodium intake ranged from 2.5 to 38 grams during the entirety of the race. But greater sodium intake was not correlated with less dehydration or hyponatremia, nor was it correlated with less muscle cramping. Overall, these findings from the Western States 100 miler suggest that, independent of plasma sodium dilution caused by drinking too much, whole body sodium loss may cause hyponatremia under arduous conditions, but during race sodium supplementation might not be necessary. Observations and self-reported diet records can be useful, but they also introduce bias, and, as you just heard, can be confusing. Fortunately, there are some randomised controlled trials to learn from. For example, 114 athletes competing at the Cape Town Ironman who were randomised to ad libitum sodium or placebo pills during the race showed that sodium supplementation did not help maintain plasma sodium during 12 hours of racing, but any better than placebo. Similarly, a study of 76 athletes competing in Ironman South Africa found that plasma sodium concentrations were slightly higher but still well within the healthy reference range in those randomised to receive 700 mg per hour of sodium versus no sodium, but hydration status was not different between groups. These findings were confirmed during a half Ironman where there were no effects of sodium supplementation on RPE, muscle soreness, or the race-induced decrease in neuromuscular function. That said, the sodium supplementers had a faster race time on average, but the authors of the papers did not report the races during race nutrition. As you might be realising, sodium is complicated. In some contexts, for example, when sweat sodium losses are small, during session or race sodium supplementation 
is not necessary for maintaining plasma sodium concentrations, nor does it improve performance. In contexts when sodium losses are large, the effect of sodium supplementation on performance is not convincing. And in other contexts, when sweat sodium losses are large and fluid intake is too high, during session or race sodium supplementation is probably necessary, but not completely sufficient for maintaining plasma sodium concentrations. And indeed, these are the sentiments echoed by a 2018 systematic review from Alan McCubbin and Ricardo Costa, who concluded that the current studies have a high or unclear risk of bias because of varying ambient conditions, no reporting of caloric or carbohydrate intake, and no measures of participants' sweat sodium losses. Plus, no study has yet examined the effect of quantified sodium replacement according to an athlete's expected sodium losses, a gap to be filled by future research. But what about pre-race sodium loading? This topic has garnered attention in recent years because of its potential to expand plasma volume. Certainly, under resting conditions without exercise, ingesting sodium in tablets or solutions with water may increase hydration status compared to water alone. Note that glycerol was also used for this purpose, but was banned by WADA in 2010. But despite some popular companies and some famous coaches strongly advocating such approaches, there is currently very little data examining the effect of pre-exercise sodium loading on hydration status and or the risk of hyponatremia and or performance. This will change, but for now, let's look at what exists. Under cool conditions, two studies have tackled this question. The first studied just five untrained men and found that riding time to exhaustion at 90% VO2 max was longer with no differences in RPE or heart rate, when they consumed 10 mils per kilo of a solution containing 2.8 grams of sodium before the test, when compared to 0.9 grams of sodium or no sodium. Only the high sodium drink increased plasma volume, but the drinks also had varying levels of glucose and citrate, making it almost impossible to conclude any, anything. The second study included 14 men of variable fitness and similarly found that a pre-test 10 ml per kilo drink containing about 3 grams of sodium improved performance during a 15-minute time trial compared to no sodium. But only the folks with lower fitness levels, VO2 max 35 to 55 ml per kilo per minute, had an increase in performance, while those with higher fitness, VO2 max above 55, got worse. Since training increases plasma volume, this is likely due to the lower initial plasma volume in untrained folks. Under hot conditions, only three studies currently exist. The first examined eight endurance-trained male runners, preloaded with 750 milliliters of a high-sodium or a low-sodium beverage before running to exhaustion at an easy pace, in the heat 32 degrees Celsius having eaten a 400 kilocalorie breakfast two hours prior. The high sodium group had a greater plasma volume 
and peed less during exercise, but their sweat rate and body weight loss were similar to the low sodium group. Plus, the high sodium group ran for longer and, at equivalent times before exhaustion, had a lower core temperature, RPE and heart rate. The second study was from the same group and replicated the findings in endurance-trained female cyclists. And the third study in nine male cyclists found that consuming 60 mg per kilogram of sodium chloride versus placebo increased water intake during a two-hour ad libitum drinking period and improved performance during a 200 kilojoule time trial in the heat after a 60-minute low-intensity dehydration ride. So, pre-exercise sodium loading might help reduce thermal stress and delay fatigue when racing at a moderate intensity in the heat. But this is far from conclusive, since much more research is needed, especially under ecologically valid in-the-field conditions in trained athletes. If you do choose to experiment with a preloading approach, the current data shows that a drink containing no more than about 3.7 grams per litre of sodium may be preferred, since pre-exercise sodium drinks above 2.8 grams per litre start to increase the incidence of gastrointestinal problems during exercise. Bonjour gingerbread man and or veritable fountains of puke. To summarise, sodium intake before or during exercise is one of the biggest unknowns in the flood of hydration advice. It is something we are not sure about, despite what many a marketing campaign will drown you in when trying to sell you their latest salty hydration pill or potion. One of the most misunderstood aspects of sodium is the relationship between your plasma sodium concentration and the sodium concentration of the fluids you might choose to imbibe on race day. Why is this important? Because if you have a high sweat rate, a sweaty betty, and a high sweat sodium concentration, very salty sweat, drinking large volumes of a typical sports drink during exercise will not replace sodium leaving your body. It will dilute your plasma sodium concentration, increasing the risk of hyponatremia. Say what? The salty thought experiment. To conceptualise sodium concentrations between your plasma and your sweat, first consider the volume of these two pools to understand the absolute loss of sodium. For example, if we use the values of the average healthy human, your plasma sodium concentration is 140 millimoles per litre in 3 litres of blood plasma. Your sweat sodium concentration is 40 millimoles per litre and your sweat rate is 1 litre per hour during exercise. Therefore, based on the relative molecular mass of sodium, 23 grams per mole, your blood contains about 10 grams of sodium and you sweat about 0.92 grams or 920 milligrams of sodium per hour. At these rates, if your plasma volume was maintained, your plasma sodium concentration would fall by about 10 millimoles per litre, from the starting value of 140 millimoles per litre to 130 in the first hour of exercise. 
but we also know that plasma volume drops during exercise because we sweat. So, although sodium is being lost, the plasma concentration tends not to change too much, and therefore plasma osmolality is maintained. Furthermore, under such conditions, if you are eating the recommended daily amount of sodium in your diet, or if you are eating the amount the average person typically eats, then your sodium losses during exercise are easily met across the day. However, as you learned earlier, the highest sweat rates during exercise can be as much as 5.5 litres per hour, and the highest sweat sodium concentrations can be as high as 90 millimoles per litre. If you have these very rare values, you will be sweating about 7.8 grams, 7,800 milligrams of sodium per hour during exercise. In this context, even your daily salt intake will likely be insufficient. Therefore, throwing sodium into the tank during exercise will likely be necessary to maintain plasma osmolality and correct the large sodium losses. So, let's consider how much to throw into the tank. In the written version of this podcast, there is a table which shows examples of various drinks and their sodium concentrations. On average, a standard electrolyte-containing sports drink contains about 300 milligrams of sodium in 500 milliliters of fluid, a sodium concentration of approximately 30 millimoles per liter, or 0.6 grams per liter, a lot lower than your plasma sodium concentration. Let's say you drink 500 milliliters of said drink per hour during a race. Doing so, will provide you, therefore, with 300 milligrams of sodium per hour. On average, athletes lose about 1,000 milligrams, one gram, of sodium per hour in their sweat. So, at this rate of intake, you will replace about a third of your sweat sodium losses. But given what you've already learned, your plasma concentration will likely stay in the region of 140 millimoles per litre because of dehydration from the plasma. Now, let's imagine you want to replace all of your sodium sweat losses and you drink just over three times more fluid of a standard electrolyte-containing sports drink, providing you with a thousand milligrams of sodium per hour to correct your losses. Sounds great, right? Wrong. You are now also adding 1.5 litres of fluid into your total body water potentially massively diluting your 3-litre plasma pool, thus reducing plasma sodium concentrations. As you also already learned, replacing all sodium losses is not necessary. But what if your sweat rate and your sweat sodium concentrations are naturally very high? Similarly, what if you're in the midst of a very long race on a very hot day? which will cause large sweat and sodium losses. In these scenarios, there is potential for sweat sodium losses to reduce plasma sodium concentrations, in which case sodium intake will likely be necessary to prevent hyponatremia. But under these circumstances, it is unwise to solely drink huge volumes of a standard sports drink 
providing you with 300 milligrams per hour if you are drinking 500 milliliters per hour. Due to the risk of diluting your plasma and causing hyponatremia. In this context, it is more prudent to increase the sodium concentration of your fluid to a level that is still palatable and or to eat salty sodium containing foods. Again, you can see table one in the written version of this podcast for a comparison between standard and high sodium drinks. If you find this confusing, think of it as what happens to a strong gin and tonic 50 milliliters of gin in 200 milliliters of tonic when you pour in a weak G&T, 25 milliliters of gin in 200 mils of tonic. Despite adding more gin, doing so dilutes the strong G&T to a weaker G&T, just like what happens to your plasma sodium concentration when you drink large volumes of a standard sports drink during exercise. The moral of the story when you think you need to, always make strong G&Ts. What can you add to your salty training toolbox? As you now no doubt realise, there is a lot we don't know about hydration, especially when it comes to sodium. We do not know whether consuming sodium before or during exercise is truly necessary. In real-world, ecologically valid settings, sodium supplementation before or during exercise is not associated with improved performance. Certainly, in some contexts, huge sweat losses during a long-duration race on a hot day, sodium supplementation may help prevent hyponatremia. But care must be taken, because drinking huge volumes of fluid, even a standard sports drink, can further dilute blood sodium concentrations. But fear not, despite what we don't know, there is also a lot we do know. We know that it takes a huge amount of salty sweat loss to decrease plasma sodium concentrations. But we also know that a high sweat rate is correlated with a high sweat sodium concentration. So, you're at a greater risk of losing sodium and lowering your plasma sodium concentrations under conditions that make you sweat a lot. For example, having a high body mass, racing at a high intensity, or racing on a hot day. We also know that total sweat loss, and by extension total sodium loss, increases with increasing exercise duration. Therefore, you're at the greatest risk of body sodium loss during long-duration races on hot days. It is difficult to consume too much sodium during exercise because salt water tastes like the Dead Sea at high concentrations. My wife actually knows what the Dead Sea tastes like, and I watched her reaction to it. Plus, if you consume too much sodium, and you don't have kidney disease, Not only will you taste like my wife on a holiday in Jordan, but your body will simply make you thirsty and excrete the excess, making your pee and your sweat saltier than normal. On the flip side, drinking too much fluid during exercise, hyperhydration, for example, drinking to a schedule to match body weight loss, can become dangerous because it can dilute sodium in your blood, causing hyponatremia which is dangerous. 
when an athlete develops symptomatic hyponatremia during a race or a session, they would likely have benefited from during race sodium supplementation. But if their hyponatremia was caused by hyperhydration, drinking too much, as indicated by weight gain, it would likely have been prevented by drinking less fluid during the race. Therefore, drinking too much water during exercise is more dangerous than consuming too much sodium. All that said, the overall risk of a dehydration-related adverse health event or symptomatic hyponatremia during exercise is extremely low. You can see part one. So don't get overly anxious. On a brighter note, we know that if you start exercise you hydrated and consume adequate amount of salt in your daily diet, dehydration during exercise will not affect your performance. Plus, we know that salt appetite is as tightly regulated by your neuroendocrine system as water appetite, thirst. Therefore, craving something salty is very likely an indication that your body needs sodium. So, eat something salty. Simple. Hydration has become a confusing topic, and this confusion will never be solved with the experimental evidence from artificial laboratory studies. Nor is it even likely to be solved by experimental evidence from in-the-field studies. I am of the strong opinion that our best hydration learning tools for endurance performance will come from empirical observations on a case-by-case -case basis. For this reason, in the final part of this series, I will discuss what you can do to stay hydrated by looking at the practicalities, logistics and nuances. Thanks for getting salty with me. Until next time, don't lick the Dead Sea. As with all my audiobook podcasts, you can visit the written version at vo2.com forward slash articles for fully clickable links to all of the evidence. I occasionally mention brands and products, but it is important to know that I am not sponsored by or receiving advertisement royalties from anyone. I have conducted biomedical research for which I have received research money from publicly funded national research councils and medical charities and also from private companies, including Novo Nordisk Foundation, AstraZeneca, Amelin, the AP Muller Foundation, and the Augustinus Foundation. These companies had no control over the research design, data analysis, or publication outcomes of my work. Any recommendations I make are, and always will be, based on my own views and opinions shaped by the evidence available. The information I provide is not medical advice. Before making any changes to your habits of daily living based on any information I provide, always ensure it is safe for you to do so and consult your doctor if you are ever unsure.